Hey everyone, just as a heads up, over at the Patreon, there is extra bonus material from my interview with Hazel today. Um, it is patreon.com backslash Hegelbon, and a $5 a month donation, or patronage, excuse me, will uh, get you access to all of the bonus material, including uh, Felix's from last week, Hazel's this week, and more to come. Thanks so much, and enjoy the show. Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. Uh, we are pleased to have uh, Hazel. Um, and Hazel, I should ask your last name. Uh, Monforton. <laughs> Monf- <laughs> Thank you. It's um, a long word. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It reminds me, it, it's, it tricks me up uh, because I always think of uh, Nick Monfort, who's like another video game <laughs> theorist. And I'm like, that. am I right? Am I thinking that she's close to that? Or am I just like adding that in myself? Um, but you are, uh, what's your ad on Twitter uh, so everyone it's can know and follow you? At Hazel Monforton. Very easy. Very okay. simple. <laughs> Great. Super easy. Um, and Hazel's here to talk to us um, about uh, narrative uh, and particularly uh, an article that came out recently by Ian Bogost, uh, as well as um, some uh, recent games. Uh, and Edith, or, good <laughs> lord, because uh, I was thinking of Edith Finch, sorry. Uh, Hazel. Yes. Um do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and sort of like what your, what your stake is in this, in this, uh, conversation? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a final year PhD, uh, student at the university of Durham studying English literature. And, uh, so my focus isn't games there, but what I really like, um, sort of as a hobby also just because I love games. Um, I like to look at game narratives from an English literature kind of critical theory perspective, Um, So I'm really interested in the ways that video games can tell stories kind of uniquely as opposed to novels. Um, So that one of my, I've written a couple of articles um, for PC Gamer and I had an academic, little academic article written a a couple, couple years ago about Outlast. So uh, yeah, all about game, game narratives. Where'd you publish on Outlast? Um, it was in oh god, this oh man, this is terrible. It was in a um, <laughs> it was in a, an academic text, I think, examining the evolution of gaming. Um, okay. So if anyone is affiliated with an institution, and uh, maybe get in touch with your library and uh, pick that up for your <laughs> your academic library. But uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, yeah, I contributed That's- a chapter to that. Yeah. That's fascinating. I didn't know that you were doing, and I mean, we follow each other on, on Twitter. I'm, I'm familiar with you, but I didn't know that you were doing um, your PhD in English. Yep. Uh, that is very me too. Oh. <laughs> uh, although I'm done with mine, but uh, oh god, um, I'm so excited to be done with mine. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's well, you know, it's exciting and bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that is, then you jump right into the job that's market. Yeah, yeah, exciting. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, it's interesting that you say like you're not doing it. Uh, what is your focus in in your PhD, if you don't mind me yeah, asking. Yeah, no, I'm looking at um, 20th century women's writing, focusing on Virginia oh. Woolf and Angela Carter. So very far from nice. games, but uh, yeah, I did 20th century as well. Nice. Um, not all women, although I did have a long chapter on Kathy Acker that I uh-huh. thought was a lot of fun to write. Um, 
but yeah, very contemporary stuff. And actually, I ended up doing a chapter in the disc on video games and sort of just branched out from there because I thought nice. it was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, there's a lot of commonality there. And I don't know if you're like this. And, and actually, let, let this be the first question. Um, do you find that academic discourse on games is something that you find like... Um, uh, I'm trying to find a, a non-loaded way to ask this question. Uh, do you find that it like helps you conceptualize games, academic discourse, such as it is about like games criticism or whatever, or do you find it like lacking in some ways? Uh, academic games criticism or yeah, academic games criticism. I think um, hmm, I think there's there's not a there's not a lack of of academic study into video games, but it it doesn't focus on narrative so much as uh kind of games writing more of journalistic games writing does uh Mm. so i am i am sort of interested in how kind of academic practice can be used to study game narratives but what it's mostly done is look at um how hmm, look at how uh games kind of can inspire emotion which is kind of what i feel is a building block of narrative to begin with um, and look at how games can uh, explore kind of complex systems. And it hasn't so much looked at how games tell stories. Uh, but uh, I think video games are so nascent in a way. Like academia moves so slowly um, sure. that uh, I think we'll I think we'll see more of this in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking a little bit or we will be talking a little bit about that Bogost article, the the recent uh, one in the Atlantic. If it's it's a little bit after the I mean, we'll at least use it as a jumping off point, but it's a little bit after the controversy. Um, but this was published on the 25th of April. So pretty recently. Um, and the you know, the title keying into what you just said is video games are better without stories. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of video game criticism from the Academy focuses this way where it's it sort of like avoids the actual story of the game almost like um uh, almost like uh as if like if you touched on that you would delegitimize the entire piece right um that there's like there's like a, a feel of like saying well we could talk about the structure or we could talk about the concept of play or we can talk about what the player is doing but unlike literary uh unlike sort of canonical literary uh objects we can never actually touch on the story yeah it it's it's a little baffling to me because i feel like that that ignores so much of how a game, how we how we play the game, and how we look at games, um, especially when games like the article, the 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 chapter that I wrote about Outlast looked at how um, the gameplay and the kind of architecture supported the game narrative, um, mm. and you know vice versa. And so it, I, it, it's such an odd kind of trend and and to see these things as so separate and being able to be kind of separated out in order to be studied individually um, rather than looking at games in a more kind of holistic way. Yeah, I agree. I think there's like, I think, you know, we've, we've come to, or at least in literary criticism, we've come to kind of understand that there's, I, I don't know if everyone used this language, but there's sort of a dialectic or a relationship between form and structure oh, or form and content, excuse me. Very good word. Dialectic. Um, Love that word. Thank you. No, I use that <laughs> more often than I ought to. I had, uh, during my, uh, during my exam defense, uh, my one advisor told me that, um, I should imagine my future writing that every time I use the word dialectic or dialectical, I lose one day off my oh, life no. <laughs> and I just like, focus on using it less. Um, 
but uh, yeah, that's me no, and I mean, me we, and semiotics. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. That's yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 true that like there's a there's a like an accepted relationship that we have with um, you know form and content, whether or not we consider it dialectical or not, um, in you know canonical literature. And whenever we get to games, it's sort of like. I don't know whether it's because they're a novelty or what, but there seems to be this understanding that the form of the game couldn't possibly connect with the story in any way. It's not about storytelling. It's about like just interaction on its own terms. Yeah. And I just, I find that, I just find that really strange because you look at um, one of the aspects of my thesis is looking at um, the kind of shift into modernism and a kind of modernist mm. styles of writing. And then the shift into postmodernism later on, you know, however you wanted to find postmodernism. Sure. <laughs> How do you define I, it? Uh, oh, why would you ask me that? <laughs> I know, I know, I had to. I had to. Well, I knew you had an answer. Um, so, in my thesis, in my thesis, I argue that it's um, it's kind of. I think, in a way, this actually agrees with what Bogost wrote in his article that postmodernism is kind of uh, finding old things and uh, and finding a new way to articulate these things. You know, joining them together and. Um, creating new kind of forms and and structures through kind of pieces of the past, so that's that's how I would define postmodernism. Um, mm. But uh, and I I agree that games do that a lot. But um, in especially modernism, which has such particular techniques associated with it, um, with the kind of fragmented sentences, free writing. Um, uh, hyper-focusing on imagery um, and then also kind of a, the distance between um, kind of action and image. I think my, my favorite example of this is in Heart of Darkness when the narrator describes, you know, sticks falling around him and then later realizes they're arrows. Um, right. And that's, those are all techniques to a certain end to telling a story. And these are, these are, uh, these are a part of words coming together and the actual, you know, choices uh, and structures that the writers are using to tell a story. Um, but when we have these kind of structures and techniques in a video game, they're seen as kind of, and not to say that the literary techniques aren't interesting in their own right, but they're not seen as separate from what this, the, the novel is trying to say or portray. Um, mm. And so I think, I think it's it's interesting to see how these techniques in games as well, things like uh, the difference between first and third person play, the difference between um, having uh, a, a sort of strong avatar body that can do a lot of things as opposed to a, a sort of weak or powerless one, how that advances certain themes in the game as well and certain narrative um, designs. And mm. I, I, I think the kind of desire to separate these things out is ultimately really harmful to seeing games as, as a narrative platform and as a narrative medium. Um, I've been, I'm sorry. I went on a little bit of a <laughs> speech. No, there. it's great. No, it's fantastic. Um, Cause I think, you know, one of the things that I've, I've often felt about video games is that it, it, it actually, I'm, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at Bogost's article and kind of like re familiarizing myself, just looking at sentences and stuff yeah. and certain sentences you know, key in where like even even the subheading, right, where he says film, television and literature <laughs> all tell stories better. So why are games still obsessed with narrative? Um, and it always surprised me because like if you look at early novels, right, yeah. like um, I'm thinking, uh, you know, some early novels have amazing stories, yeah. something like, you know, Tristram Shandy or 
whatever yeah. is, is just like a masterful story. Um, but then there are some novels that are just kind of workmanlike in their stories. Like Tom Jones, I feel is workmanlike mm-hmm. in its story or like uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, is sort of or Mal Flanders it, or yeah. Mal Flanders is totally <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. a perfect example. Um, Cause it, it really is like, it's not, I, I remember before I, re- I read the first time I read Mal Flanders, I was teaching it uh, for, I was as a TA and I remember someone describing it to me. One of my colleagues was like, Oh yeah, it's just like a story about a woman who, commits a lot of crimes pretty much yeah. i was like that can't possibly be the story of all planners they have to be wrong uh, but it is it's like it's not it's not a great story there's a lot of interesting stuff going on mm-hmm. in it and i think like scholars and even readers defend the piece saying like yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff outside of just the story going on there um but we're not really willing to do that with with video games right like if i you know i think the story in final fantasy 7 is kind of clumsy like looking back at it not as a kid and i think like yeah you know all those clones and like the various things it's heavy-handed it's a little clumsy um but i think like if i was to write on final fantasy 7 i would say like you know it's not it put the story aside what's the game actually doing that's interesting mm. in the same way that we do with novels and it, it surprises me that someone like bogos who is a critic and an academic critic would kind of partake in that and say like yeah you know like let's just stop doing this thing that video games can't do as opposed to let's sort of think about ways it can be better yeah it it was really kind of nihilistic um in its approach yeah uh just uh, just closing off this whole sort of avenue of inquiry and and the work that people do to provide game narratives um it, it just yeah just um just really really negative for a reason i couldn't even fathom um Especially because when you you mentioned early novels and, you know, Bogos goes on about novels and films being sort of, well, we have these already. Why? Why even bother with video games? But, you know, the novels went through, you know, hundreds of years of development to get to the point that they're at now where we can have these kind of sort of, you know, dime store trashy pulp novels that you pick up and they're entertaining for, you know, a plane ride. Uh, And like, that's that (laughs) even that has a history, a long history of getting to that point. Absolutely. Um, Hundreds of years. I mean, you could take it back to the Penny Dreadful. Yeah, absolutely. You can trace that back super far. Um, And just the rise of, you know, people being able to read and the rise of the printing press and, you know, the, the convergence of kind of social factors and technology and, you know, literary developments created this piece of entertainment. Um, and the same thing with film, you know, f- the early film camera was seen as a bit of a novelty, like, oh, cool, we can, uh, we can create these moving pictures. Isn't that fun? Let's, uh, let's film a couple kissing, let's film a train coming into a station. Isn't this right. interesting? And then kind of slowly, we're like, well, if we film the outside of a building, and then the inside, then the audience will know that it's the same building, and we can set up a scene, and we can set up a story, like very slowly creating these techniques um, with the film camera. And it took, you know, a lot of um, a lot of different kind of people to kind of come forward with different techniques and different ideas about what this technology could do to make an interesting kind of art piece and make an interesting story and tell the story in a way that was unique to that medium. And it, both of these, you know, the, the novel and the, the film both have their own interesting histories. And I see we're, we're in the midst of the, the video game's interesting history right now. Yeah, yeah. And we're very slowly learning the language of how we tell stories in a, with a game that is unique to games. Um, which is why I, it was so frustrating to read uh, Bogos' piece about specifically Edith Finch, you know, what, what remains of Edith Finch. 
Um, yeah. Him saying that, you know, why wasn't this a film? This could have worked just as well as a film. <laughs> no, it, there's no way that it would have worked as a film. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like just what, I'm, what I know about Edith Finch, it seems like it would be sort of just like a very forgettable film. Yeah, um, it, it would have just, you know, moving through a series of rooms or a series of flashbacks. <laughs> and if you're not actively engaging with the environment um, as a player, then the story sort of falls apart. Um, and so th- the game was such an interesting game, but it would not, not at all have been an interesting film. Um, mostly because films like that have been made, like we're, right. we're best on a different horizon. Um, and they, and even they didn't approach what a game could do in that sort of environment. Um, and it, yeah. So it just, Oh, it was disappointing. Just disappointing. Just lack a lack of vision. <laughs> I would agree. It felt it felt more like a um, felt more like a shot, like a self conscious shot across the bow than like a real yeah. intellectual inquiry. I mean, one of the things that like really strikes me about what you're saying, I think comparing video games to the history of film, and I haven't really done it because I don't know how many people have done the history of film. But you know, in your in your talking like you're talking about it, I'm thinking like. You know, I'm thinking, is it, is it, it's not the kiss because the kiss is the early Edison piece. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of the train, the, the early film. It's not super early, but it's maybe like, I don't know, uh, early 20th century um, where like, it's just, it's a short and it's a couple, I think you alluded to it. Mm. It's a, it's a train shot Mm -hmm. basically. And they go into a tunnel and they go into the train, have the couple kiss Mm. And then you get to see out of the tunnel again. And so it's like this, like um, it might be, it might be even be called kiss in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a totally forgettable kind of film. Right. Yeah. Um, but structurally it's super important. And historically it's super important because it's like the first time that they've said like, okay, we're going to do one of these, you know, weirdo films where we have a camera on the front of the train and it freaks out the audience. Uh, Cause it feels like they're moving. Uh, but in the middle of it, we're going to cut to a scene inside and the audience will understand that they're in a tunnel and they're kissing in a tunnel and, when we cut back out, they'll understand we're on the same train. Yeah. Um, and like a simple thing like that, right? Like it, it, it isn't remarkable. It doesn't really strike us in any way as contemporary audiences, but to imagine that that took like 10, 15 years of steady experimentation with the form to get to. Yeah. I mean, you think about like, I mean, even getting to something like journey to the moon, right. Which is just like, it's not narrative. It's, it's just pure spectacle, but it's kind of narrative. Like it's, it's the one moment where you're like, Oh, are they trying to mix it up? Like, you know, what is, how does, what does this look like as opposed to GW Griffith? How do I sort of like compare these things? I mean, that, that kind of like questioning, you know, if video games are far off from that, it's not as if like they're going really slow. Yeah. You know, it's, they're kind of taking the, the same tortured trajectory as any sort of new, new, yeah. And it's not as if t- it's not worth it either. It's not as right, if, you exactly. know, oh, well, you know, films can never be as good as novels or, you know, the novel can never be as good as epic poetry. So why are we even bothering, you know? <laughs> I, and I don't know why anyone would write that now when yeah. we've seen a million people write that in the past and be like, oh, well, I guess Matthew Arnold was wrong. Or I guess <laughs> like, I guess like, you know, this conservative person or oh, who, who wrote Gosh, I can't even think of any of the people who wrote that. You know, the, the film would never be. Oh, video games can never be art. That was. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, that was Ebert. Ebert. Yeah. 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 Ebert did that, and I'm sure some version of Ebert was doing it about you know film can't be anything like the novel in you know 1920. Yeah. Um, film can't be anything like theater. Uh, right. Exactly. Or, just, I mean, or you know. To be fair, a lot of early film was just 
straight on filmed theater, which I'm sure was super boring. But then you know, oh, yeah, later awful. we totally <laughs> figured out how to do these stories more interestingly in camera. Like, <laughs> well, and the other thing is like, no one's, I, I feel like, I feel like it has to be all or nothing with video games at this point, which is a frustrating thing because yeah. you would never say like every film is art or every film is good. Right. Oh, but no, no, if no. you make it, no, of course, or every novel or whatever, oh, God, there's all no. sorts of terrible <laughs> novels. And like, there's all sorts of terrible novels that are historically important or films. Yeah. Um, but like, it feels as if, if you say that about video games, you have to make like a, blanket statement yeah um, i think or you're expected to. i think a part of that is because video games became so popular and so revenue generating so early mm. um and they are like they are great in a lot of different ways and you know a lot of people play them for a lot of different reasons and not just because um not just because they they love narrative or they love story um, I'm sure there are people out there who, who read Virginia Woolf and love Virginia Woolf for her techniques and not for her, you know, interesting investigations into, you know, pri- the private lives of, of middle class people. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a more holistic approach with, with, with novels, whereas with video games, this kind of separation exists also with the people who consume them. Um, mm, that's a good point. Yeah. I was actually uh, in a, I think this episode will be out before our episode is out, but I was talking with um, uh, a guest about um, the Metal Gear games and he was saying, you know, there's there's a way in which like Metal Gear Solid, you can definitely play it as a, a sort of straight ahead stealth game and you can just enjoy the the feelings the stealth gives you, mm-hmm. but the game sort of doesn't want you to do that. Like even like a, a major studio game is basically like trying to edge you away from just enjoying only the experience and try and have you contextualize it. Yeah. Um, which I think is, you know, it's, I guess, and we can move on from Bogost. I, I'm interested in what you have to say about Eve the Finch, but unless you have more to say about Bogost. But I, I find it interesting that someone who can be as perceptive about video games as Bogost is also kind of unwilling to imagine that there's an interaction there uh, between, there is an interaction there that actually sort of follows from an author figure. If that author is like a, deve- excuse me, a developer or an individual author or whatever, I mean, especially in an indie game like Edith Finch, like you have to imagine that there's some sort of authorial pressure there, if not intention. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, huh. I think it's it's interesting just because um, I think that video games don't necessarily have an author in the sense that films do. Um, or, or, or novels definitely do, but I think it took, it took a long time for even films to be considered to, to have a kind of author that there is, you know, one driving vision or one driving force behind them, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, for a long time they were seen as very collaborative. Um, and then later yeah. sort of directors took the, um, took the helm as, uh, as sort of the, the auteurs, the, uh, the authors, the authority, as as the word is derived, <laughs> on the piece. I like it. Yeah, that's but, a nice way to put it. Yeah, uh, um, but video games don't necessarily have that. You know, there are a bunch of different. You know, it, it it can be a bunch of different departments working together to create something that all have their own vision uh, of mm. what's important about the game, and they're all you know they're all right. None of them's none of them are wrong. They're all, every every bit is important. Um, and you know, it's also an interaction with the player, you know, the player is also an author of their own game experience. Um, but I mean, you could also say that, you know, reading as, as, as we say, reading is an act of rewriting. So readers also have their own kind of uh, authorial experience with, uh, with a novel, but, um, 
it's more so with the game because of they're they're literally being inserted into this um, into the setting into this this uh, this narrative. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess that yeah. With, and actually, I think you're right, and I think that's actually more of a. It's almost an intensification of it. It's almost an intensification of different pressures. Mm-hmm. Like to it, it would almost seem like in your version, and maybe maybe I'm misreading you here. Maybe I'm using you uh, unfaithfully, but like the it seems to me that there's like understanding what you're saying. It it would almost be more impossible somehow to to say that there's not a pressure from the game at large. Like you would have to say like there's so many pressures. There's so many yeah. things pushing you in different ways. And to imagine you can do that without a story or to imagine there's no story behind that might be the better way to say it just seems like impossible. Yeah. And even, even if there's no story as we understand it, there's Mm -hmm. still uh, a kind of emotional uh, aspect to it that the, the player at least has while playing it. And I think that can also be read as a sort of very basic narrative of kind of, you know, frustration, uh, determination and tr- you know feeling triumphant is its own little narrative. Um, yeah. Even when playing something like Tetris, which uh, I think was brought up a lot during the sort of Twitter uh, <laughs> controversy oh. after the, the the piece. I'm but, glad I was. I'm glad I sort of checked out of that. I know <laughs> that it seems it, like um, it went on for a while. I think uh, I think a part of it also is because narrative and game is they're beset on all sides by people who love games and people who work on games as something that's secondary or unimportant. And so mm. even if, even if the game is, even if the narrative is kind of basic or bad, it's, I, I, we have to defend it because, you know, otherwise it, the, the, you know, the, the, op, the opposition just gets more ammunition and we can't let that happen. And it's um, so the, the, these discussions become so heated so quickly because, um, there's a level of defensiveness for people who study and work on game narratives. Um, uh, so it just, it got very contentious very quickly, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that happening on Twitter. That's unbelievable. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Not, it's not, never on Twitter. <laughs> never Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to, uh, concretize this a bit and I want to hear what you have to say about Edith Finch. Cause yeah. What I've understood about, um, so we should, I, I'll use the whole title at least once. Um, the, uh, sorry, what remains of Edith Finch, right? Um, I'm interested in what you think about this game and how, how you see it um, operating. Cause you saw it as like a, a particularly curious choice by Bogos to use this game for his thesis. And, you know, given that he kind of uses gone, uh, gone home and mentions uh, Dear Esther, you know, walking walk the walking simulator genre that I'm I've definitely played a ton of. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder what you see Edith Finch doing that's similar to that, uh, that kind of like yeah. classic walking simulator, and what it does that's different. I get I'm I'm so ambivalent about the term walking simulator because what's that, I am too. It's whenever <laughs> it's used, it's so derogatory, um, and uh, or sometimes it's kind of you know reclaimed and. Uh, but it's, it's just got this sense of empty emptiness around it where, mm. you know, you're just, you're walking in, then there's no other way to interact with the, um, the space except to move through it and move past it. And, um, and that's not at all how I experienced Gone Home or, or what remains of Edith Finch. 
No, I've gone home. I actually, I actually, actually thought a lot about this. I've gone home was one of the games that I included in my dissertation. Oh, awesome. I ended up writing about, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I ended up writing about gone home and uh, the Talos principle, mm-hmm. both of which in some ways you could imagine as walking simulators, mm-hmm. although Talos doesn't really get that um, reputation. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think walking simulator is a really interesting thing because it's been embraced on some level by the creators and initially it was a derogatory mm-hmm. term by reviewers. Yeah. Um, but walking, I mean, you would almost want to say like walking in the in the sense of being a flaneur or walking mm. in the sense of being a detective or something like that. Yeah. Like there's a very deductive quality yeah. to these walking simulators, even something like Dear Esther, which, you know, doesn't it, it, it's extremely, um, I don't know, symbolic or speculative or imagistic. Um, doesn't give you any sort of like actually clear answers to the mystery. Yeah. Um, but even that, like, you know, at its purest form is walking in the sense of like walking as a detective or walking as a deducer, which you're right. It doesn't exist in the actual term. Yeah. I, I never played Dear Esther. Um, I got really bored. <laughs> I it's put it super down? boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is very boring uh, it, in a lot of ways because like it, it, it's unlike something. So Gone Home was fun mm-hmm. because Gone Home has a mystery yeah. at, at its core. And like it teases you, like it plays with your expectations is, is sort of my contention. Like there's a lot in it that wants to make you think it's a horror game or there are sort of like indications that something terrible has happened. Yeah. Um, I always think about the bathtub with the manic panic in it, right? Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> you get in and the bathtub's covered with what you think is blood and there's a manic panic bottle next to it. And you're like, okay, wait, like it's just, it's just hair dye. Um, <laughs> and like the game constantly messes with you yeah. like that. Um, oh God. One time the, the opening the, uh, the, in the, in the, your parents closet in, uh-huh. in gone home and like the opening, the, um, the hidden door into the kind of crawl space between oh, the walls. Oh, that was so scary. so scary. I like, I opened the door and I saw just, you know, that childhood fear of, you know, there's a set of steps leading down into darkness. And that's right. like, this is, this is every, uh, every Christmas with my grandparents and their scary basement. I'm not doing this. And so I turned the game off cause I'm like, I'm not going to, I have to put this down for a second. <laughs> and then when I finally, um, when I finally, it was like, you know, 20 minutes later, I, I kind of was like ready to face this, childhood fear of walking down into darkness and i i i opened it back up and i i i walked down and i couldn't find the light switch that you're supposed to find somewhere along the walls and i picked up something and i looked at it and it was one of those creepy little crucifixes that yeah it was the cross yes (laughs) like nope 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 i put the thing down and i closed the game again (laughs) just But like it's so funny that a game like that and like there's there's the sort of like implication there i've never quite been able to figure out the and we don't have to get into it here but i've never quite figured out the the sort of like sexual abuse sub storyline yeah. about um the uncle like people keep saying it's there and i i trust that it is there i um uh, but i i had to look for it p- i had to look for it yeah. knowing it was there in order to find kind of these little hints to um and i think but i think that's part of um to, to slide back into how this is a, a good game and not just a good yeah. uh, story. I think that is one of the great things that make it interesting as a game rather than as a, a novel or a film um, in that it forces you to explore and look around and you're, you are literally crawling through these little hidden spaces in the game and in the architecture of this house that is built 
for you to explore. You know, you're going through these secret pa passages, you're wandering in the crawl spaces between the walls, you're going into closets, you know, going into closets and that kind of classic, you know, metaphor. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, to find out these little secrets, you know, you you find a bottle of Jack Daniels in your father's study and it's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be drinking, you know, but that tells its own little story and its own little crisis. Um, yeah. And the, the, the sort of like varied interpret, like I, I always found really fascinating the, the similarity of the reaction of Caitlin when you find um, your father's pornography and then your sister's <laughs> pornography oh, yeah. and they're the same. And it's, <laughs> then they just like, it's just like, ew, yeah. <laughs> like gross. Uh, but it, it's, it's fascinating because those mean two different things. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I guess that's like gone home is, is so interesting as a game because it is so so focused on that kind of mysteriousness and 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 letting you deduce things and mm -hmm. and putting you in a position to have to be a a voyeur and a, yeah. and a, a sort of like it, it gives you a sense of urgency but truly as you find out there's no actual sense of urgency everything is okay yeah. in its own way um uh, one of my other, yeah no I, yeah one of, one of my other absolute favorite moments was uh because the house was i i didn't know uh, the house's layout, and I didn't want to go back yeah. and explore a room that I'd already explored before. So I was leaving lights on uh, oh, to let me know idea. to let me know that I'd been there before. Um, and then you get to you get to your sister's room, and there's a note on her door from your mother. It's just like, "Turn the lights off when you leave a room. You're just as bad as your sister." And it's like, "Oh my yes. god! How did it know? How did it know that I was doing this? Oh, geez, I should have turned all those lights off. I'm sorry, mom. Like, I just I'm wasting electricity. I'm sorry. Just." <laughs> <laughs> and like the the sort of fear the sort of like gut wrenching quality I mean, I mean like i you know i'm a i'm a family i'm from a family that uh, of divorced but a very amicable like i'm mm -hmm. sure 85 percent of people are at this point so it's not you know yeah. any sort of surprise or even like traumatic moment but the just like the gut wrenching quality of being like oh no like is mom gonna cheat on dad like are they gonna <laughs> get and like why should i care <laughs> these are people that never existed like and I, I don't know, like that, that kind of immersion and that kind of immersion isn't just created by a story about that. Like you can't just mm -hmm. read a story about someone going home and finding that stuff and feel invested in the same way. Yeah. Like the, the story has to do with the fact that you embody, as, as you say, the avatar mm -hmm. um, and you have to do the the work yourself. And so like, I think that comes back to your, your point that like gone home wouldn't make a good movie. No. Um, yeah. It only makes a good game. Yeah. And so how do you see that? dynamic functioning in Edith Finch? It's very similar in that it's about the architecture of the house and you're exploring, uh, you're exploring hidden passages. Again, you're, you know, do you, you, you don't know, you've never played Edith Finch. So should I give a little rundown of the plot or? Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. No, no, no. I, I open myself up to, I, I treat this podcast the same way I treat uh, seminar classes all where right. if I didn't do all the reading, um, <laughs> spoilers are, are pro forma. Okay. Okay. So, Spoilers. Um, the game. <laughs> yeah, warning the audience. Yeah. Spoilers ahead for Edith Finch, which you can play in about four hours. Um, uh, I, I I won't ruin the twist at the end because it is it is it was it made me cry a little bit, and I want I want people to cry also. I'm very pro crying <laughs> about video games, um, but it's it's so uniquely a game about stories and about telling stories. Um, because you are exploring this house, you're, you know, you're, you are Edith Finch for the majority of the game you inhabit 
Edith Finch, who is the kind of last surviving member of this family, um, and you're, you're 17 years old, you're going back to your family house, which you were kind of hurried out of with your mother when you were 11. Um, and your mother's died, and she left you a key. Um, and so you go back to this house to basically figure out what did your mom want to tell you but couldn't. Um, mm. And so you go back to this, yeah, you go back to this house, and it's a very odd-looking house. You know, it looked like it was once a normal kind of house, but things kept getting built on top of it, and there's more and more kind of, like, odd-looking towers that are stretching up from it. And as you move through the house, you realize that every single room in the house um, is its own little story and is its own little game, even. Um, And so... Each of your family members have died in either very regular circumstances or very bizarre ones. And so you kind of move through each of these rooms, which have been kept kind of in the same way as they were when the family member died. Um, from, you know, your your great aunt Molly, who died when she was, I think, about nine or, or ten in 1947, to your brother, who died um, when you were about... 10 or 11 um and that's that's kind of at the top of the house because the house kept getting built bigger and bigger as uh, Mm -hmm. the family expanded um and so you're moving through and you're moving through these hidden passages i'm just so excited about this game it was so good um you're moving through these hidden passages because your mother um sealed up all the doors to the house of every remaining family member, every kind of, you know, family member who's died. And so Mm. you have to, the only way to access these rooms, which you've kind of, you can kind of glimpse through peepholes in the door before you figure out how to get into them, um, is through these kind of hidden passages that are locked with, uh, you know, padlocks that the key that your mother gave you open. Um, And so you you go into a room and you can kind of look around, look at the way that the, the, the family member kept their room, what's in there, their kind of personal effects, their, um, you know, how messy their bed is, you know, things like that. Uh, and then you see a little shrine, which your, your great grandmother set up um, after their death. And each shrine has its own little story on it, which is either a diary from the person who died or, uh, one of them is a psychiatrist statement um, after the family member's death. One of them is a poem written by the family member's sister, so on. Um, mm. And the text is incorporated throughout um, the game into the environment. So as, as we move through the space, text will come up, uh, which you can read, but it's also it's read to you by the whoever's speaking or whoever wrote it down. Um, and so it's... It, it, kind of combines what people leave behind in terms of their own kind of written statements along with the environment that they curated for themselves. And, and it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Um, just being able to move through these spaces and, and read all these stories and, um, each, and every time you read a, a story at one of these shrines, you play a little mini game from the perspective of the family member who died pretty much at their moment of death. Um, and so say one, you know, your great, uh, your great uncle, uh, Calvin, who died when he was 11. Uh, he died because he was on a swing set and he was trying to go around in that, you know, way that 
children love sure, to do or love to try to yeah. do. And uh, you play, you're on the swing set and you use your, you know, controller to kick your legs back and forth. Um, and you have to do it in time with the movement of the swing set to actually get it high enough to, um, to go around and then you, you know, you get flung off the swing and you die. Um, huh. And as you're doing this, um, you, you hear the voice of and you see the words of your twin brother, Sam, who is Edith's grandfather, um, who wrote a little after his brother died, after his twin died, wrote a little, uh, a little page about, you know, what I want to remember about my brother. And it's, mm. it's kind of heartbreaking to read, but the swing set is really fun. <laughs> and it kind of, it, it, immerses, <laughs> yeah, it immerses you into these kind of little scenes um, and make them very bittersweet. Um, yeah. It's amazing that it can incorporate the sweet too, because yeah. the way you were describing it, it sounded like it there's a way. Depressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds almost like those, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example um, I wrote on uh, maybe this isn't the best example, but it, it, it might work. So I wrote on uh, Spec Ops: The Line a while back. Right. I don't know if you ever played it or not. I have not. Um, it's a it's a traditional war game that actually has like a lot of. It's basically it's basically Heart of Darkness, right? Um, but it, it does some interesting things, and there are some moments in it. I think about it a lot because there's a moment where like it, you have to use white phosphorus, and mm. the last thing you want to do in that moment is like do something that terrible because the game constantly makes you feel bad about the things you're doing. Yeah. Um, and the last thing you want to do is commit a war crime, but you're, you're forced by the game to, to do it. And so like, I, uh, I guess in a previous podcast, I talked a little bit about this as like, you know, moments that the game forces you into moments, the games force you into that make you feel like a bad person or if you make you feel like complicit in violence or whatever. Um, and so when you were describing it, it sounded like that. It sounded like one of those where it was like, Oh, now you're complicit in this child's death. But it sounds more like you're kind of embodying the child in the yeah. moment of like before it where like they're doing it because it's exhilarating or fun yeah. or whatever. Um, none of the stories are, I mean, the stories by themselves are quite sad. There's one of them, one of them is a, a baby drowning in a bath and you, you play as mm. the baby. Um, but the baby's having a great time in this bath. Um, sure. The baby's, you know, you kind of, you can, you sort of, you kind of move your flail your arms around like a baby and then the little kind of uh, bath toy which is shaped like a frog comes to life and you're jumping around as the frog in the bathtub and like you're laughing and you're having a great time um, and it kind of gets more and more abstract as it gets closer to like oh the tub is overflowing oh now you're a frog now you're swimming into this into the drain and like it's um mm -hmm. it just it's it's joyous while still handling this sort of incredible family tragedy um that caused you know you're reading a a, a divorce um deposition uh written by your grandfather again this is your your uncle who died when he was a, an infant um or this is you know edith's uncle who died when she when when, uh, yeah, yeah, when yeah. he was an infant but um and the, the text itself is is tragic it's incredibly upsetting um but at the same time, it you're you're this laughing baby in this bath having a great time, and then I mean the text is also a little bittersweet because it's about you know oh he was always so happy I wonder what his world was like and you play mm. as that world and so it it's about it's definitely about loss and grief but it's also about you know these memories that can be treasured and you know kept forever um, 
and ways that we can remember the people in our lives who were important. Um, and so it becomes this very kind of poignant story about grief and how we can kind of experience it in, in, in full. And yeah, I, it was so good. It's such a good game. And, it, <laughs> and about building. Yeah. It sounds great. I'm, yeah. I'm going to play it now. Definitely play it. Um, and it, it's, but it's about building too, right? Like the way you described again, like it's, I don't know, there's, there's a number of things I want to say, but the, the way you described the game, I keep thinking it's going to get depressive or scary, mm. which again, reminds me of like gone home in a, in a way, like when you described the, the things built on each other, all I could think of was the Winchester castle and like the way, I don't know if you know that story. Um, I don't know. Sorry. Oh, so the, the woman, the woman who, um, I guess she's the heiress to the, the Winchester fortune, the, the mm. gun, um, the story goes that uh, she went mad because she was so um, haunted by the the victims of, you know, gun violence, basically, right. like how many people the Winchester killed. Um, uh-huh. And as a result, she built this apparently the mansions. I've never been, but I've I know people who have. Um, she built this massive mansion with like, you know, pathways that go nowhere, stairwells uh-huh. that just kind of like go out a window and like, you know, drop um with like all sorts of stuff built on top of each other yeah um it's sort of like a i don't know it depends on who you're reading it it can either be a metaphor or it can be sort of like a symptom or whatever right it's one of those things um but that's what i thought of when you were like oh things are built on top of it i was like oh it's like the winchester yeah no that's that's uh i think it's definitely playing into that tradition of of Mm. the gothic and sure uh, and these kind of haunted spaces because the you, I think the game definitely wants you to feel that the space is haunted. It's, I mean, you're you're exploring tombs basically. Uh, each, yeah. Each little um, each little room is its own preserved space of a person's death. It, it's it's for all intents and purposes their tomb, and it it wants, but it 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 kind of subverts this kind of gothic uh, kind of trope and tendency, um, and makes it a lot more. Uh, not about the kind of haunting of the past, but to, you know, to read it and understand it and see it as part of your own history um, in a way that you don't let, you don't really let it haunt you. I don't know. Cause there's definitely, there's one of the, th- one of the kind of storylines is that Edith's mother didn't want her to know about any of this because she feels like this is a family curse that everyone dies in these earlier bizarre ways. Um, and, Instead, Edith kind of seeks out these stories, kind of knowing that something bad might happen to her, but she yeah. still wants to know. And it's, yeah, I I read a review of Edith Finch, and it, it described it as um, Lovecraftian, which I found so bizarre because well, that it, seems wrong. That seems so, <laughs> it, was so, it felt so wrong, and also I, I get so salty about the word Lovecraftian. Um, oh, that's why you tweeted about that. I, I saw you tweet tweeted about that. Yeah. <laughs> I tweeted about that a lot because I was mad. Um, but no, it was because uh, it just felt like the word you're looking for is gothic. It's gothic in yeah. this very cl- in traditional sense, um, but it's also sort of you know Northanger Abbey sort of gothic where it's you know subverting these things and subverting the. Um, the kind of uh, suppositions that we have about um, haunted spaces that, you know, we're all, you know, haunted by little 
pieces of the past, but that doesn't have to be a negative. We can learn from it and we can assimilate it into our understanding of ourselves. And I'm pretty sure, I think that's what Edith does does by the end, Um, because she's writing her own little notebook um, Mm. uh, that could also be put at her own shrine if something happened to her. So it's, uh, yeah. (laughs) No, that's great. And and it just, it's, it's so interesting to think about, I mean, I know you did this in, with Outlast, but like, it's so interesting to think about architecture in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Where like you imagine the idea of building and adding, right? Where like yeah. the addition, like adding onto tragedy feels like it would be, it, it feels like it would be ghoulish to play as the child drowning, right? Yeah. Um, but of course that addition of context, I'm reminded of, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do this brief aside because I'm sure you've had seminars like this too so I can <laughs> I can uh, but I'm reminded of a seminar I had about where we were talking about uh, Derrida we were talking about um, his his signature event context yeah. and um, we were talking about like the sort of like you know whether or not meaning can be pinned down or whether or not it's loose <laughs> or whatever and I was you know studying with an intentionalist so like the the they were very serious about like it's not <laughs> dissemination's not, not correct or whatever um but like yeah. one of the things they they were really they super smart but like one of the things they pointed out that always kind of stuck with me was like someone was like so nothing means anything like even context and he was like no he's like even to derrida context is super important mm. like you need context like context determines everything like yeah it's 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 about context and of course, like things can buck context or subvert context or whatever, but context is crucial. Mm-hmm. And like this idea that context in this case actually builds onto the situation, helps you understand it as yeah. opposed to making it more traumatic is is really profound. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the great strengths of video games as a narrative medium is that they tell stories through context and architecture in a way that novels and films can't really um Mm. or i think a film can a film can try very hard to make um a film about a space and exploring a space but it it won't have the same um effective meaning on us than if we were moving through it ourselves and so it's um I don't know. Maybe films will just never be as good as video games at telling stories. I don't know. <laughs> that, well, that's what I'm going to title the podcast. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote it with you saying that. Oh God. Um, no, no, don't worry. Um, no, I, that, no, that's, that's interesting though. Cause it, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to add too much to that. Cause that's a wonderful way to close. But mm. the last thought I have is, and I'll let you actually have the last word, but right. the last thought I have on that is, you know, there's, there are films about spaces and they're, they're fascinating and interesting and good, but the idea that you can only tell a particular story in a particular medium is, I don't know, it's so powerful to me as a critic, but then also it seems so important as we understand like literature, as we understand um, art, as we understand how it affects us, the idea of medium specificity in that way that like, mm-hmm. yeah, look, you can't tell this story unless you're in this medium. That's just so cool like it's so cool to think that we're like building this medium that can tell new stories yeah i think i think it's really important to acknowledge it's it's important to acknowledge the um the limitations of video games as um storytelling mediums like player engagement and um pacing is always going to be an issue for video games um Mm -hmm. but the ability to explore spaces the ability to interact with spaces and 
create systems to move through is something that video games can do very uniquely and very well. And I think it's super important to acknowledge games that know this and use it to its best effect. And I think, um, I think what remains of Edith Finch definitely does that. Great. <laughs> well, no, I, I, it's fantastic. I don't want to add anything else because okay. I don't want to take away your thunder there. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. That's just like yeah. I, I try really hard not to do that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a serial um, and person in, in <laughs> seminars, which is like what this has sort of become for me here. Um, <laughs> my thunder is uh, thunder's very important to me, so thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, no, we want to preserve it here. Uh, but uh, any other any other final thoughts you had that we don't feel like you don't feel like we touched on in the podcast? Um, I think that was pretty well exhaustive. Um, I'm really yeah. That was a really good discussion. Was, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, is there anything? Well, thank you again for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug or uh, talk about or um, want people to know about? Um, the only thing I'm doing right now is my PhD thesis, and I really don't want anyone to read that. So please, <laughs> please don't seek that out uh, when and if it it is actually finished. Um, uh, so no, I have nothing to plug. Please, please ignore anti-plug. me. Please ignore me. <laughs> please, please do not seek out Hazel's uh, <laughs> thesis. I, I can uh, totally relate to that. I would never want anyone seeking out my thesis. I really, if, if only four people read it, that would be the maximum I, I would enjoy. Just, uh, that would be great if, if yeah, just, just my supervisor and the, whoever, what, what poor souls have to, to um, examine it. That's, that's, you know, that's it. And me, of course, I have to read the damn thing. I'm, you know, I, I will say, I will say that I'm sure it's better than all that, but also I completely sympathize. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, well, thanks again for coming on and thanks everyone for listening. Um, this has been on a cartridge. Go follow Hazel at Hazel Monforton on Twitter. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.